0: Welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded from Southeast, the podcast where we take you through some of the major topics facing importers and manufacturers in China today. Hello everybody, this is Renan Joran, your host today, and welcome to another episode of the China Manufacturing Decoded podcast. Today, my guest is Rico Ngoma. I've known him for probably a six, seven years. I think I I met him in uh, in Shenzhen in in, in in an event. I'm not sure I forget, uh, I remember which one, but, and um, I've seen him uh, over the years. He has a sourcing agency in, in Guangzhou, is that correct? Maybe, Haruko, maybe you can introduce uh, yourself and, and, and what you do.
1: Hey, Renaud, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, yeah, I think we met the first time like we spoke before, because I, I had you on my podcast yep. earlier when we launched, because I, uh, I was using your inspection company at the time. Mm-hmm. and I was also following mm-hmm. your, your blog. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just kind of made sense to me. I was like, if you want to interview somebody about QC, then you know, contact Renault. And then uh, I, that would have been... That would have been end of 2015, and then I think we met physically at the cross-border summit in 2016. All oh, right, that was it. Yes, yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah, so that was I think that was the first time we actually met. And yeah, so I uh, I'm the CEO of Sourcefine Asia. We are a um, manufacturing consulting company based in Guangzhou. Our office main office is in Guangzhou. Yeah. Uh, we also have some installations in other parts of China. Like uh, most of southern China, but also in northern China as well. Okay. And yeah, we specialize in basically finding high-quality suppliers, uh, which means we don't necessarily have, you know, a specific product that we always work with. Of course, one of our main clients is in the CrossFit space, so exercise equipment, CrossFit equipment. But uh, we've done, you know, injection molding. Uh, you know, watches, electronics, we, we've we've touched on a lot of different products. Right,
0: yeah. Okay, and we're speaking today actually because you and your team put together a, a digital summit, right, Source from Asia Digital Summit. Um, yeah. What, maybe you can tell us a little bit about it, you know, who who, who, who is the intended audience and where they can find it?
1: Yeah. So it's SFA digital summit.com. Um, so the, the idea was, I mean, I wanted to launch a manufacturing course or a, actually one of my friends told me I shouldn't call it a course. Uh, I wanted to man, uh, launch a manufacturing program, mm-hmm. um, for a while. Like it's been a few years, i have been thinking about it just because you know how, you know, there's a lot of e-commerce programs around Amazon and selling, um, on e-commerce platforms but there isn't too many people that are actually manufacturing you know experts or that work in the manufacturing space specifically that had programs mm-hmm. so you know i decided to put that together especially during the last uh, year and a half with with uh, covid mm-hmm. the normal side of the business slowed down a little bit, so I had uh, more time to think about this. And then also in general, I understood from, you know, a lot of the startups and uh, first-time entrepreneurs and small businesses that they couldn't afford to pay for our consultation services. So it made more sense to me to to sort of put together a, a manufacturing program. And then, how do I launch that program? Was the the next question. So originally, I thought I was going to do a webinar, and uh, I came, I interviewed somebody that gave me the idea of putting together a digital summit and basically, you know, bringing together a lot of my network and, and having everybody do presentations on on their areas, and that's that's how the concept came about. So. Uh, yeah, I mean the the summit itself is free. So sfadigitalsummit.com uh, is where you go to sign up for it. You just have to submit your name and, and email address, and it's a it's a free it's a free digital summit. Uh, I think we have a little bit over 16 different present presenters, mm-hmm. um, and covering all topics from you know how do you build an audience how you do market research validation all the way up to how you actually sell the product with the manufacturing and, and qc and you know design for manufacturing which which you which you did a presentation mm-hmm. on um, right. in between so
0: so okay so that you know actually that i looked at the list of topics on on the web page and actually what i would suggest for today is to go through the topics that are related to manufacturing, like from vetting the supplier all the way to shipping. And 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 just to cover them from the angle of, I'm a new company, I'm, I'm setting up a new company somewhere in, in, you know, it could be in Europe, in North America, in other places, I'm going to buy some products from an Asian supplier, I already know what kind of product, but I So we're going to skip all the, you know, looking for the right product and things like that. I already know I already have an idea what market so we're going to skip all the 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 market research topics and things like that. But I I want to get started I want to. I want to get the manufacturing underway I want to get the products in my hand. But I want to do everything out of this on a small budget because as you say the, the target audience is people who May not want or may not be able to pay for consulting fees. So I want to do all of this on a relatively low budget. Okay, so let, let's go through the through the topics. And the first one would be um, um, okay. If if you want to develop a new product, and you uh, you know uh, how can you do that on a small budget, right? A lot of people in this case usually start with an existing product off the shelf right just because this way they can get started selling it to a certain market get to know that market get to know how to distribute and without having to do any investment in in design
1: does that make sense to you yeah yeah no I, i i mean typically when clients come to me who want to create an original design and they don't have you know, a, a big enough budget for it. I typically would tell them not to, not to, not to do it, just because it's hard to really calculate the expenses before you actually start working on the project. It's it's a new product. Um, mm. You're dealing with a lot of different variables with suppliers and molds and things like this where, Mm -hmm. you know, you might have to make multiple prototypes. Uh, The prototypes could be expensive. Like there's so many things that you just don't know. So it's a little bit better to, if you don't have the budget for it uh, or you're working on a very tight budget, it's a little bit better to start off with pre-existing products, maybe with some small changes to the product. Um, or try to go into crowdfunding, but then again, you know, crowdfunding is not is not what it used to be, right? So you have to be aware of like you're gonna spend a lot of money in like before you actually even launch your oh yeah your, your you campaign to have the prototype
0: yeah. of your your unique product you know usually yeah. or at least something that looks like a prototype an Indiegogo but starter you have to have a prototype and then you have to pay to get a nice campaign so maybe you're Digital marketing expert, and you can do a lot of the photo shooting, maybe even some of the videos and things like that yourself. But most people are not in that case, so yeah. it costs them ten, twenty thousand dollars to just to get the, the nice campaign all set up,
1: right? That doesn't. Yeah, complete. I mean, it's 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 interesting because it's like I was talking to my business partner, uh, mm-hmm. Mike uh, Mike Shearhorn, and his nickname is China Mike, and. Uh, You know, he had a couple of crowdfunding campaigns uh, back in the day, like I would say 2011-ish, when it was really early. And these were six-figure campaigns, right? And that time period, I mean, they would spend, you know, a couple thousand dollars and then have a six-figure campaign. Uh, But now I was talking to other people that have gone through crowdfunding campaigns in recent times, and you know they're spending five, high five figures to barely make six figures, right? Like, right. You're, you're spending seventy thousand dollars to make ninety thousand or eighty thousand to make a hundred thousand, and then you're then you have your manufacturing costs. And and the reason is just because it's it's a much more competitive market than it used to be. Um, you know you have way more campaigns being launched at the same time. You um, have way more expenses in terms of, uh, you know, the marketing, the the videos, the graphics, the, the websites, so that's all that kind right. of stuff. And then even again, the manufacturing costs, like like you mentioned, yeah, the camp, the the platforms are more strict than they were before because people were scamming before, right? Like they would. Mm they would uh, launch a, a product and not actually have the product so now right. you know platforms like kickstarter require you to have your prototype already produced and that takes that takes, ex- mm-hmm. that takes uh, time and expenses b- before you launch
0: right yes uh, no exactly and Facebook ads and similar ads are more expensive. Yes.
1: Yeah. Also also Facebook ads, yeah, exactly. Even the the sort of Facebook ad campaigns are more expensive than they used to be just because again, it's more competitive. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: The bar is much higher. Uh, So if you want to do it for a lot of visibility, that might make sense, but you might not actually make any margin on it. So (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, to to get back to that, yeah, I mentioned that because, yeah, some people want to start uh, buying something from, let's say, from China. And at the same time, they want to develop their new product and everything. And if you have a low budget, that's too many unknowns. You know, the, usually what makes sense is what pe- some people call a stair-step approach where you start to pick something that you think you can sell to a certain market that you know and that you can reach rather inexpensively and you basically distribute that product. Now, maybe it might have your logo, might have a maybe your packaging with your own artwork, uh, your own color, you know, but very uh, minor differences. And then as you get to know your market and how to distribute to them, and as you get to also know your, your Chinese manufacturer, um, you might want to customize it further. You might even want to redevelop. A totally new product from scratch—that would be yours rather than you distributing the, the, the that manufacturer's product. But it's better to go at it uh, step by step. If you if you're really on, on a budget, you know, first learn the basics of how to to get products and move it to your market and sell it to your market, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, okay. So supplier vetting: good supplier, good results usually. Bad supplier bad results pretty much all the time would you agree with that
1: yeah, yeah for sure i mean uh, it, it's it's just so funny because like as a consultant i have this conversation with clients all the time and uh, you know obviously what do you, the biggest concern with clients is always price right even quality uh, uh, yeah. or quality and price like it's always like it goes hand in hand and it's like well i want the best price but I also want the best quality or the highest uh, possible quality at that price. And I'm like, it doesn't work like that. Like if you, you know, China is not Walmart. Uh, You have to you have to like if you're going to go for the best uh, quality, then you have to pay a certain price. Mm -hmm. And that comes that that price comes from, you know, the research and, and the work that you do in terms of finding a good quality supplier. Right, um, and and just in my experience, it's always it's always been a situation where if we had, you know, good conversations with the supplier early on, and they were giving us uh, solid responses to the questions that we're asking, and they were also asking us questions and giving right. us some advice in terms of. The, the product whether it's uh, materials or certain aspects of the design that they say if you can change this then it's going to be a little bit easier to manufacture mm-hmm. um that's, that's always point. been yeah it's always been a very good sign and and even just patience actually because we've had a few situations where you know our clients were maybe a little bit difficult to deal with mm-hmm. and and the factories were very patient and still you know kind of wanted to go along with the order and was still willing to, you know, make another prototype, for example, even though we made one and, you know, there's some small changes that the client wanted to make, you know, whereas a lot of other factories would say that change that you want to make is so small that like, let's just place the order and, you know, we'll give you a golden sample and, and, and you know, you, you'll be able to see the the, the changes um so yeah i think i think definitely 100 percent like if you if you can find a good supplier um if you have a good relationship with the supplier early on then it it bodes well for the for the rest of the order yes so
0: again on a small budget basically what can you do so you can start from you know alibaba or global sources you know if if you can't travel to to uh to, to Asia uh, mm-hmm. but that's just the starting points right uh, and people so a few of the very common mistakes I see as, as you mentioned yeah I want the best price so I'm gonna ask you know oh I found like 20 suppliers that make this um, whatever product you know uh, that, that I want to buy and I'm gonna ask them for their best price so what do you think you know let's say these 20 guys um, Let's say five of them are actually quite good, but, you know, and they get contacted what, by someone who says, "Oh, I want your rock bottom pricing," and da, da 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 da. Are you, you know, do you think they're even going to respond? Because they, you know, if they're good, they have their long long-term customers. They're busy, um, and they can probably charge a little bit of a premium. Uh, you know, are they going to to respond? Usually not. So people are going to respond. Or suppliers are not so good, and it's going to be very inviting also to scammers in yeah. game, right yeah. uh, so you you end up either with a bad supplier or a scammer right so definitely not the way to start usually. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, for sure yeah, I know I think um, yeah I mean it's it's difficult like I you know when you're on a when a on a tight budget it's really really difficult to to find that balance between price and, and quality. And I, I I completely understand that, but you have to you have to understand that there is a some there has to be some level of sacrifice, right? Like if you want to have mm-hmm. a, a, a certain level of price, then you might have to sacrifice quality. If you want to have a certain level of quality, then you might have to sacrifice price and, and right. maybe maybe on your first one or two orders you don't make as much money, but long term it's going to be more beneficial because, okay, so you save money on the first order, but then you have a ton of returns, right? right? Uh, or you have to now start dealing with a, a factory, like you said, who it, it's you don't have a good relationship with, or you know you just have a lot of issues with with that supplier. Um, it ultimately ends up costing your business more in in those situations. Whereas if you pay if you pay a little bit more, maybe you make less money at the beginning, but once you you know you, you have satisfied customers and all that stuff, if you can do larger orders, then it works out and it's a much smoother process. Like we have case studies of like our clients that we worked with. Like there's actually a, I could send you um, a case study as well. Um, it's actually a, a little bit of an ebook, uh, which was a quality management system development that we did for a CrossFit equipment company. And it started off, the client found us with, through my YouTube channel, and I, I was doing a quality inspection for a CrossFit equipment company, a different company. Oh, I see. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the, factory that i was at was the the typical just bad like the the laoban did not care about developing or improving at all his systems um he was outsourcing a lot of the stuff that they were doing so the quality was inconsistent and things like that and these were things that you can only really learn when you go physically to the factory and start to understand what's going on um the reason why we worked with that that particular factory is because my client was insistent on working with them because they had a nice website <laughs> so so anyways um you know i made a youtube video about it and then this other crossfit equipment company came and saw that and they were working with the same supplier and we basically went in and and found out the same stuff and we dug a little bit deeper and you know, the conclusion was that they had to change suppliers because they were losing mm-hmm. money on returns versus like trying to develop this relationship with the supplier that doesn't want to improve, right? So you really do have to take those things into consideration. And it was not a small company, the one the one that um, found us on YouTube. They were, you know, in the seven high seven figures and, mm-hmm. you know, they were stuck with, with the supplier just because it was hey, you know, fr- from the beginning, this is who we've been dealing with, but they didn't really look at the aspects of you can find a higher quality supplier.
0: Right, yes, yes. No, yeah, and you're exactly right. Sometimes the conclusion is you just picked really the wrong supplier. These guys will never try to improve. These guys are not really trying to understand your quality standard. They're just trying to to give you excuses to get your payment this time, get the stuff shipped out, and they don't, Yeah. They don't even think of your next order. They don't care. So, no. th- yeah, these are really big uh, red flags. Um, apart from that, what can what can a company with really low budget, you know, what, what, what can they do? I mean, they can look at some of the information on the directories like Alibaba, but uh, being a gold supplier doesn't go very far. It doesn't. No. Really matter, right? And
1: have you noticed that? um the alibaba website has like removed a lot of those uh sort of classifications of gold and things like that for the, the suppliers like they've, they've reduced because they used to have so many different ones they used to have like three or four mm-hmm. different uh, mm-hmm. uh what, what do you call it like certificates or whatever for the suppliers mm-hmm. um i think right now it's only a one or two okay. um, i think Uh, I think that what you, what you can do is there's a lot of resources. I mean, obviously your podcast, my podcast, like, uh, you know, YouTube, there's a lot of YouTube videos. uh, So I think you need to do your research if you're, if you're on a tight budget. Um, Of course, uh, in another situation, you can come and join our digital summit and the manufacturing program that, that we have, which in our manufacturing program, we take you step by step in terms of the supplier research process and, um, you know, how we do it in terms of source financial as a company. So, you know, I, I just feel like you can, you can do a lot of research by yourself. There's a lot of free resources or um, resources that are relatively inexpensive. Um, I think that's the first step. And then, um, I mean, there's also communities like we have, facebook groups and you know uh forums with yeah, people yeah sure. with people that make products that uh, have been making products for years i think you can jump into those places and ask questions yeah yeah
0: true yeah yeah no good good uh, good points yes actually we, on, uh, on the podcast uh, China decoded. We, we did like 10 episodes about china vetting we really broke it down yeah <laughs> so, there's a lot of things that they can learn and you know to, to do it themselves that's for sure uh, mm-hmm. now
1: let's say and you Renaud, i don't know if you've noticed this but like um for me a lot of times are like the clients i really enjoy talking to or working with are the ones that come from the podcast oh yeah because i i think audio especially because it's a, it's generally longer than the videos mm-hmm. um i think audio just people kind of pay attention more to what's what's being said uh, because there isn't a visual aspect to it you know so they they tend to be a little bit more educated about the process as well
0: Uh, yeah they spend the time to to learn and they yeah yeah
1: that's
0: true that's true now let's say okay, you found a supplier that seems to be okay, or maybe maybe one, two, three that seem to be okay. Um, you're gonna move ahead with one. You need to set the um, all the basic terms actually as early as possible, so that there's more ch- you know a higher likelihood that they accept um, what you're gonna tell them. So usually the payment terms, if you're a small buyer, there's gonna be relatively st- standard. If you can negotiate to pay the remainder after shipment that's a plus obviously but if you're a small customer on the first order that might be a little bit difficult um you know you you could uh, put certain things black and white Uh, maybe you used to be a lawyer who knows Uh, put some standard terms you know black and white again there's a lot of resources where you can Find you know what are the important terms to, to include and get them to sign it. Uh, it's always a plus anyway to to um, to clarify the expectations. You know what happens if they are two weeks late? What happens if they um, you know if they, they ship a batch to you and there's you know 10% defective goods? Um, well, you know um, what happens if they leak your your confidential information you know certain things like this it needs to be very very clear Um, Uh you might not want to go and sue them uh, even though of course making the contract enforceable is always a plus but at least uh, you can call them out on that right the uh, i guess you've done that a number of times right and it's always better when things are black and white on you know from the beginning there is going to be you know, inspections during production, after production, like you have to let our inspectors come in. Sometimes <laughs> some manufacturers actually try to push back on that, it's, which is crazy, but they try, right?
1: I always tell my clients is like, when it comes to the, the, the contracts, the biggest thing that our suppliers usually push back on is the quality control standards, right? Uh, <laughs> like in terms of the aspect of what is a critical minor or major defect. We talked about the AQL level standards and it's all, o- that's always the conversation that takes the longest in the contract. It's not about price. It's not about, uh, you know, production time or anything like that. It's always, well, what is your expectation of quality and what is my expectation of quality? But yeah, you're right. Like, um, you know, we've had to enforce a few times, And the fact that it is written in the contracts uh, and also typically, you know, it's in Chinese and English. So uh, one example was like one one client of ours was making some swimming costume. And uh, it was not necessarily an original design in terms of the costume, but like the print on on her uh, costume was original Mm -hmm. um, that, that she designed and uh after we had done the first order she i guess was browsing the supplier's website and she came across her design and it was ready to purchase on on the site so i mean we had a non-disclosure agreement with the supplier Mm -hmm. and and our also contract as well said they couldn't sell the product to other people so we just contacted them and said hey you know see this clause this clause and they they took it down so you know well it's it's good i mean of course you could have other suppliers that might be might not care and mm-hmm. and but that's also when it goes back to that our conversation about finding good suppliers right that, yeah. Definitely. yeah so the suppliers that care maybe a little bit about long-term stuff i mean they'll still maybe try something that is mm-hmm. is is not uh is outside of what the working relationship was supposed to be but when you point it out and you have an agreement and something to follow that's written down you know a lot of times though most of the time they'll actually take it down or they'll follow
0: yeah and it's and they know it's a problem uh, you know because in that specific case with the the special you know the, the custom print on the costume some factories would just say oh but you know uh you're based in the uk uh usually yeah. our other customers in that case <laughs> would tell us there's no problem to sell it to australia
1: you know yeah yeah <laughs> heard that right so yeah of course yeah no it's funny no it's funny and it's just like well but the, at the end of the day it's like well how do you know i'm not trying to expand to australia like you know that's 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 the problem with those situations but um yeah it's good to have the agreements in place even though you might not necessarily be pursuing it aggressively um you know in 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 the court yeah
0: absolutely absolutely and you say quality control is often something that they try to push back on especially when it's specific so some something that a lot of people, you know, they buy for the fir- for, for the first time and they really don't understand that. It's on them to be specific. It's on yeah. them to design the process of the approval. So for example, the costume, you know, how do you make sure that you get exactly the right material and accessories? And then when it's dyed, you know, it's exactly the right color that you want within a very tight tolerance. And the sizes are okay and all these kind of things. So you could just tell your your supplier hey uh yeah just um oh, you already know the sizes in north america right so yeah yeah we just want uh, like six-year-old eight-year-old ten-year-old and uh yeah, all right. and then you don't try to check it and approve it before production <laughs> i mean that you know that is a recipe for disaster because then if everything is one or two sizes too small what can you say you cannot yeah. say anything actually because you 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 never approved any samples for sizes you you know or if the i mean there's there's so many issues with that that can pop up obviously but you need to design your approval process uh and then you you because even if we say like relatively off-the-shelf product yeah you know that costume as you say maybe the, they already had the pattern and they already knew what workmanship it would be, but, you know, the colors and the print and everything are a bit different. Maybe the sizes need to be reapproved. So very often there are approvals, you know, for packaging. <laughs> typically, uh, you need to approve things and, and keep that as a standard. Uh, and you need to think, as you mentioned, of the potential defects what is going to be a critical defect? If I find one of these, the whole shipment is going to be blocked. You're going to have to recheck 100% of the products, and you're going to have to pay for the reinspection. You know, so when they start to see these sort of things in a very specific way, you know, documented that they have to approve, that's when oh oh, you know, they start to think, hey, this is for real. These guys might just block a shipment and be very painful. So that's when they yeah. start to discuss. And actually that discussion is very, um, very important. It should take place because if you send them something very specific and they say, okay, 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 yeah, yeah, okay. Send it back to you. You know, it might be the safest person who just wants her commission and wants to get things you know, underway and they don't care. They say, okay, it's fine, it's fine. And the people in production quality haven't even seen it, right?
1: Uh,
0: same thing for, for contracts. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that's a, that's a that's a really good point as well in terms of um, you know the salesperson, right? Because a lot of times you're talking to the salesperson, and the salesperson doesn't have the same level of expertise as right. the actual production management or the engineers um, that would you know maybe understand these these issues. Right. And the salesperson is just trying to push the order and, and finish it pick just to get their commission. Um, so uh, you know that's that's something that we always kind of Try to mention as well with clients who then work work with factories directly or before dealing with a factory and we have some issues, we try to get a second uh, contact, uh, maybe try to, you know, get the engin- uh, engineer production manager or someone like that who has more experience, that has more decision-making power. Because, um, yeah, the, I mean, a lot of issues have been fixed by just not dealing with the salesperson. <laughs> Right. So it's quite a few times. Yeah. That, that
0: that's so true. And then sometimes you get lucky and you get a really experienced one who, yeah. as you said, you know, will ask some questions, will say, Well, usually other clients, you know, the, the other customers run into these kind of issues and then they did that to prevent it and da, da, da. And you're really lucky.
1: But yeah.
0: if they see you as yeah, this customer looks kind of cheap, you know, it's the first time, so you know, the order is not large, whatever. They give you the junior salesperson with very minimal experience i mean that's that's a risk uh happens quite a bit and then nobody's managing the project nobody's really aware of the risks or pointing to the risks and challenges and and yeah that, that that's really an issue so vetting the supplier you know getting back to that stage is so important uh, making sure that you have the contact of maybe the sales manager or, or someone with experience that you can communicate with for certain topics, it, it's really it's really a plus, right?
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah, so definitely, I think you know the big takeaway there would just be like get a get get a second point of contact. Um, you know, if you can deal with somebody who's a little bit more senior. Um, you know it it just it makes it much much easier
0: oh yeah definitely now okay so let's say you fund supplier agreed on the terms everything's clear they know sort of the roadmap to to get your, your your payments and to to get the shipment and get everything validated how okay you're not on site do you just tell them okay yeah here's the first payment Okay to start production tell me when it's finished <laughs> which a lot of people do right uh, yeah would you would you just say that and just trust that hey you know it's fine uh, they would tell me if something goes wrong
1: <laughs> <laughs> well yeah yeah i mean t- typically what we do is like we we would uh, we first of all we want to do an inspection of the mm-hmm. facilities even before we start the order so mm-hmm even if it was uh, a product that was pre-existing and we'd looked at the samples and stuff like that, we still want to go physically oh, yeah. to, to the supplier, mm-hmm. sit down with them face-to-face, uh, let them know that we're real um, mm-hmm. and also just understand what their actual facilities look like and how they operate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as we already talked about quite a bit, the, the contract uh you know, a lot of times we end up negotiating the contract on those visits. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I mean, you have to, you have to be active in, in your communication. You have to be asking uh, them for updates. You have to be scheduling inspections. Uh, I think we, if it's an original product, then, you know, we typically like to do an, an inspection during production. And then at the end of production... Um, if it's a, a pre-existing product, then you maybe you schedule the production at the end of pro- the inspection at the end of production. But besides that, even just asking, you know, your salesperson or whoever it is that you're talking to at the factory to go and check what's going on in production and send you pictures and just get general updates on on the production process, I think is extremely important. It also right it also is one of those things where because a lot of clients don't do that you know if you're a more active client then you basically just have more people paying attention to definitely your your, your production like uh, they just they will take you a little bit more seriously yeah because again as i mentioned you have to assume that
0: nobody is managing your, your 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 order it's um you don't have like project managers or things like that. You would think the salesperson does that, but the salesperson is just just going to follow up on you know the payments to get her commission, uh, is just going to um to to respond to your questions but not be very proactive usually. And she's going to spend her time, you know, waiting for other inquiries from Alibaba or or, or wherever they are advertising and, mm. and following up as fast as she can. Uh, to get you know the next customer and the next customer, uh, that's the reality. So yeah, uh, if you're far away, you can come. You have a low budget. I mean, if you if you can't even do an inspection of production, gee, don't. I mean, don't don't buy from Asia. I would say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Don't don't buy from Asia. It's really like something you can't skip. If you cannot run some kind of background check on the supplier, well, you know, there are ways you can gather some information on different directories, you can talk to them, you can you can reduce the risk. If you don't go on site, I mean, the, some people, you know, call the salesperson and say, okay, where are you, turn the video on right now. Okay, show me the factory, go to the shop floor, you know, to see if they are at the factory. But this is, uh, I don't think they can really have an idea about you know the, the, the quality systems in place and yeah. what the processes are and what kind of other products they make and have a look at you know the other brands maybe that put their production there and things like that so if you can't send someone to the factory uh, I, you know it, it's it is and i can say it with certainty you know if you do some kind of factory audits before you you work with a supplier you know this is correlated with better results later on during the product inspections uh, we've run the numbers based on our, our database what we did for them for, for our clients there is a strong correlation coming out very clearly right so you're just asking for trouble basically you multiply your risks if you don't send someone to the to to the factory to, to see yeah. what's going on to see if they're real to see if they're really making this kind of products or if it's going to be all subcontracted obviously right um, if they're making some other some very different kind of categories of products right just uh, last week I heard a crazy story about a, a factory making a pot for uh, aerospace you know <laughs> and <laughs> their main activities was making washing machines you know <laughs> so. I mean, this is really extreme, really crazy. But um, you, um, you know, sometimes you you get into this kind of situation, and you're like, "What? What the heck? I mean, is this going to be made here? But do you even know something about that? You know, uh, that that product line, or are you just jumping on every opportunity, and you don't really know what you're doing,
1: right?" Yeah, and um, actually, something something you just mentioned, uh, which made me think of this, is you have to be really careful about which product you select to make right? if, if you're on a tighter, tighter budget. Um, so, you know, if you're going to make something that has a lot of technology into it and you have a tight budget, it doesn't really make sense because, you know, technology is going to involve issues happening and things don't work immediately and, you know, multiple, multiple prototypes and bringing on, technical expertise to figure out why this product isn't working and, and things like that. So I think it's, um, that's another big reason. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. So Certifications also probably more. Certifications. Yeah. Certifications as well. Um, yeah. I mean, we had a, a, a client recently who was making a bag that had uh, sort of some sort of uh, IOT lock to it. And, you know, it was one of those situations where, you know, it was multiple suppliers. There was a supplier for the bag and the supplier for the lock. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the lock itself had multiple issues because it was Mm -hmm. new, you know. know, And so it was something that we had to work through for quite a while. And, and, you know, the, the client started to feel pressure financially and I it just it just goes to one of those the, the point that I was saying is like you have to make sure it's like if you if it's a technological product or something that is going to be expensive to produce um, maybe take a second guess or look at different products if you don't you know have a a, a good budget for it
0: right yeah good point and that also leads it's just the next topic about compliance if you buy anything that is for children anything in contact with food yeah. uh, anything with electronics anything you know all of these come with their own uh, compliance um, uh, regulations i mean you, you you you're gonna have to do more uh, to, to pay more attention and probably Uh, have have more of a budget for compliance yeah uh, especially if you pick off the shelf products and you don't know where the materials come from and everything then you might have to do a lot of testing and if you are on a small budget that yeah that might be a killer right um so yeah keep that in mind you will probably have to um i mean you you definitely will have to be aware. That's the mm. first thing I would say. Uh, aware of um, the compliance requirements in the market where you're going to sell the product. Uh, and I see that uh, Frederick from ComplianceGate.com uh, is, is part of, yep. uh, is, is one of the speakers in the summit. Uh, they, they have a neat tool about that. Uh, but really you should be aware right what are the regulations what the directives the whatever you know and what exactly does that mean what do, do i have to do in terms of uh, in terms of labeling even and maybe declaration of conformity and things like that uh, and and how you know what are the risks you know if if uh, some of the materials maybe i i should uh, do a you know pay for a chemical analysis for for reach for example if it's sold in the EU uh, just to make sure that some of the restricted substances are not in the product I mean it's so common it's just an example but you um, you know compliance might actually be quite expensive if you want no risk right
1: the, the yeah no, the 100%, uh, I know a hundred percent it's it's kind of funny because our first ever, well, not our, but like my first product that um, we worked with, with, with Source Vanilla, um was uh, toys, uh, PVC figurines for, for children uh, yes. between, between the age of five to eight. And this is also the, the product that, that your company inspected. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that we had to do was we had to get, because it was original design, it was the first time we making the product. We had to get the paint, the plastic, uh, everything inspected to go to the standards of the uh, Canada and and the U.S. And it was every single paint color. And I think the first, yeah, Yeah. I think the first product had like three, four different colors. So it was every single paint, um, every part, every plastic, uh, or every different sort of plastic that was used. And, uh, it, I mean, it was not cheap. <laughs> it was not cheap for, for the client to do. And, you know, then you, you know, there was also the time constraints of we're in the middle of production because you have to take the product that's actual production, not not uh, prototype mm. or, you know, sample. So right. so that was, um you know, that was a big thing. That was a big lesson for us as well in, in letting people know that, hey, you know, in terms of product compliance like you have to really make sure this is okay and also they had feedback in terms of the actual toy uh certain parts of the toy that maybe were a little bit too sharp or right. things like that and and, and so it could be know, broken now, could even, be bro- in, yeah 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 uh, even
0: a, this should be taken into account in the design phase right if something uh, can be broken into a small part especially if you don't you know that can be swallowed by a small kid uh, and especially if you don't put very clear labeling that this is for kids of you know, seven or eight year old, not like two years old, um, then you can run into such big trouble when, when you put that on the market. Uh, so again, awareness of uh, compliance standards, right? Uh, so
1: just, just one more thing about that, like we um, oh, yeah. touched on packaging earlier. And packaging is another one of those things where people don't really think about it so deeply. Uh, but you have to make sure that your packaging is also it follows the regulations because shipping those toys to North America um, and in in the U.S. English was fine, but like in in Canada, like it's a requirement that it's French and English on on the packaging. So you know these were subtle things that we had to make sure that the suppliers were aware of uh, to make sure that our packaging was compliant with the regulations um, in in the countries that we're exporting to.
0: Absolutely. And it brings you back to the previous point that, that we made is that it's your job as the buyer to know what is required and to document it in a very specific way and make sure that the supplier knows and does it, right? Don't count on the supplier to tell you that, oh, oh, it's gonna be in Canada. Okay, it's got to be also in French. <laughs> no, no.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, Yeah, that's, that's the other aspect is like, some people be like, oh yeah, when the supplier should tell me. No, no. <laughs> like you're, you're the buyer, it's your product, like you're exporting it. So you, you need to know these things. Um, and the information is, is out there if you do enough research.
0: Yeah, correct, correct. Yeah. And then shipping and logistics just to wrap up a huge mess these days and not going away anytime soon. And I guess there's no real tips for a small buyer to, uh, to, to go through that mess. I mean, just make sure that you specify proper protection for your products. Uh, that's something people often forget. And apart from that, find a freight forwarder or you know a consultant that can help you get the products shipped out to where you need them to be right
1: yeah i guess in terms of pricing it, it's it's tough uh but yeah. i think that the, the normal sort of ideals are are the same getting multiple prices from multiple shipping companies um and then being able to compare that i think that's always that's always good advice um but also just you know not waiting because i remember one one situation that happened uh recently where we i, I client we gave him a, a shipping quote and then um they said oh that's that's too high can we do this and that to change it and then we waited a few weeks and then the prices went up like almost Sixty percent. So it was one of those things where it's like right now, you know, if if the price, if you can afford it, I would say you you probably have to move quickly. Um, but yeah, the, the biggest thing is just like try to get multiple quotes. Um, you know, think about your packaging, uh, dimensions and things like that. Like if you can, if there's any way that you can make your packaging smaller um, then, then that's going to help overall with, with, uh, with the shipping process. But yeah, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. I mean, obviously the, you know, because of COVID, the, there's just less shipping options and things are just slower. So, but people still want their products. So it's much more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that's really nothing that we have control over, but, uh, yeah, I think that would be small pieces of advice I would give.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Not much to to add actually. Okay, well, thanks so much, Rico. Again, that yeah, I think that that's good condensed advice for people who want to start buying a product from Asia on a tight budget. Yeah, we'll link to the um, SFE Summit in 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 the show notes. Uh, so again it's sfadigitalsummit.com without yep. any action or anything yeah cool well thanks rico and uh,
1: speak next time all right thank you thank you Renault. always a pleasure to speak and and uh, you know thanks for being on the summit and, and contributing your your knowledge as well cool.
0: all right yeah happy to okay speak to you next time bye okay.
1: cheers thanks for joining us if you've enjoyed today's podcast
0: don't forget to like and share and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all other places that you get your podcasts from. See you next time.